welcome everybody. Continue on our journey through uh, Thessalonians. Continue with uh, chapter 2, and uh, we're at verse 9 today, and keeping with uh, some of the... We'll be talking about the maintenance of their mission. And so, it's verse 9. It says, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. Thank you for your blessings. Father, we thank you for the music that we had this morning. We do, we do pray that we can stay in your footsteps and that we know that as long as we stay uh, hand with you, following your footsteps, we will not falter. But should we stumble, we, will, uh, we are picked up by you. You dust us off. And Father, like a little child holding on to a father's hands, oftentimes those steps seem further than we need to, than we can make. And oftentimes we try to take a step too far too fast, and we trip. And Father, we thank you that you love us, you take care of us. You bring us through many trials that we run into. And Father, as we're looking here in, in the Thessalonians, the, the Apostle Paul is presenting his ministry to the people, and he's challenged as are each of the, the new believers in Thessalonica. And Father, I pray that, uh, they, uh, that we can use them as an example. And when we're challenged in this world, we know that it's, it's not anything that you're doing. Father, it's all of what Satan is trying to do to us, trying to stop the ministry, trying to stop the word going forth. And as, as we've read and been told many times, and we read in the scriptures, you are the ultimate winner, and Satan is defeated. And Father, he knows that, but yet he's not willing to give up. And Father, I thank you for the courage each one of us has as we go through this earth, where we're challenged, or in some cases might be persecuted. But Father, as long as we stay in the word, we know that we can stay maintained and that we can glorify you in all that we do. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Well, as, as the verse says, the, that uh, the missionaries uh, didn't want to become a burden. They didn't want to be chargeable to any, any of the, Thess- uh, actually any of his uh, churches that he established, but he, he pointed out to the folks in Thessalonica, and he said, you know, they could insist on the importance of themselves, but yet they did not demand support. And it, it's... And we've, we've mentioned it before that, you know, some people, when, <clears throat> when they come to speak or, 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 or you want to seek somebody to speak, they might give you, okay, well, I need this before I come. And it's a list of demands. Well, the Apostle Paul didn't do that. And, you know, and here it's pointed out that, you know, they were not expecting the believers to support them. And... In some cases, they did. They were able to give him gifts, but the Apostle Paul uh, had a talent, had a skill that he used to to take care of himself and his people. You know, it makes you wonder, well, what other skills did the other ones have? Well, we don't really all, all, always know what those are, yet, you know, maybe he trained them. Maybe he trained them to be tent makers, but I know he trained them to be ministers of the gospel. 
And it's like uh, in, in Galatians uh, 4.19, it says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, using the, the example that uh, he labored with them. And, and, and they use that word all throughout uh, in various places in Scripture, meaning that they were laboring, uh, making sure that no matter what, that gospel was coming through. They're going to be challenged. You know, this is our labor and travail for laboring day and night. So, you know, it's like he was preaching during the day, uh, uh, working at night, and sometimes he might be speaking at night, and he's laboring during the day. You say, he didn't get by on much sleep. <laughs> I'm just wondering, you know, how much did he do? Because oftentimes he talked about preaching late into the night and then getting up early in the morning and, trans uh, and going somewhere else. But, you know, that the, he cared for the people in Thessalonica. I mean, he cared for all of the churches that he established. Everybody that he shared the gospel with, he treated them as if they were his children. In verse 11, when we get there, it says, as ye, know, uh, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. We're going to look at that in, in, in more depth, but... A father, when he's got a child with him, he's going to take care of him. He wants to train him. Oftentimes, parents want their children to follow in their footsteps. You know, to be, well, you know, maybe a, a specific uh, uh, profession. You know, you you see, uh, you know, doctors and lawyers and uh, people that are in trades want their children to grow up doing the same thing they do. And oftentimes, they may not follow in that. But if the parent and, and is good in the training they have taught them skills that will allow them to go into the world with the proper attitude and that's what Paul was trying to do here you know <clears throat> that he again he didn't expect the people to to support him but yet he wanted to support them through the gospel making sure that they understood uh, what the gospel meant and how important it was and, and a question uh, that uh, in the, in the book uh, it says does this mean that pastors should support themselves well, we know what this pastor does here, <laughs> here but does it mean that it's required that a pastor support himself not really no I mean ideally uh, churches take care of their pastors now, you know, when they think of missionaries, we discussed a little bit about that, a little bit more, that missionaries often go out, they're presenting the gospel, uh, but they're not expecting the new converts to, to support them. Some, some might be able to do that. Maybe they're going into that mission field to take over an existing ministry that, that has support there, but their goal is to train local pastors, and then the church supports that pastor. But like here, you know, we're a small church. We support as best we can our pastor. But yet, many churches around the country can't support a pastor full-time. So therefore, they usually pick up a job to take care of that. You know, and, and if it's a larger church or, you know, the, you, the people just have that burden, sometimes they're taken care of fully by them. They don't have to work. I know that's, that's one of our goals here, to grow where pastor doesn't have to work you know and that's 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 our, our our desire so how might new believers on the mission field react if the missionaries who witnessed to them hounded them for donations as soon as they were saved 
Exactly. The people might say, they only came here for that. For us, they, we're poor people. How does, you know, sometimes, uh, well, I mean, you hear of uh, early churches, pastors were paid with, well, the the goings on, going, you know, <laughs> yeah, bandits. Uh, uh, you know, they're paid in crops, paid in eggs, paid in meat. Uh, I, I remember years ago we had one preacher, he used to make jokes about, yeah, he says, I learned to like liver. He says, because that's the only thing that was left over for us to, to eat. Or these, these uh, uh, you know, the, the, the meat they gave us was so tough, it was like shoe leather. And uh, one of the ladies actually cooked up some shoe leather and gave it to him at, at their uh, potluck that they had just to, just to see what he would do. <laughs> you know, just, but most, most traveling uh, people, you know, they, they don't expect them. Uh, in fact, um, what was it? I can't remember which missionary it was. It was one's going to South Africa. Before they could even go on the field, they were required to be 100% supported because the jobs were so tight in there that they were afraid that if somebody coming in wasn't fully supported before they came there, that they were going to take a job away from somebody. So that's that's very important. And And the other is... Most missionaries, they're getting used to what's going on in that area. They, so they don't need to be burdened with, okay, now I gotta go find a job. Now I gotta go out and make sure that I got all this taken care of. They have plenty to do as it is. You think of uh, the clients uh, where they were establishing thing, the Mupichi uh, people there. Some of the men, they were not very kind to newcomers. So they had to contend with that. And I think uh, even the Rogers a little bit in their area, you know, people are, are not the most friendly, um, although once they get to know you, they, they take you in and, and make you feel comfortable. But missionaries have plenty on their plate to start with, where not the pastors don't when they, when they have to take over, you know, or when they planned a church. You'd think that they're there, but the people are expected to support them because they know that they're going to be there long term missionaries most of them go out they plant a church like i say get a, a local a local minister trained up to take over that and then start another one some not not always do they do they stay in one place so you know they're mostly uh, you know we're believers and missionaries are working on converts not very often do they get to go out and have be blessed with a congregation to to go to them unless it's an established one um or, you know, unless they're going there maybe as a helps ministry. But yet, still, missionaries need that support going out there from, from other, from, uh, from people, you know, outside type support. You know, so Paul was willing to support himself. And, and he talked about that because he was a tent maker. And so, you know, he, as he was doing his tent making I'm sure he was witnessing as well because in, in Acts they talked about uh, you know the they, they, they used the sweatbands uh, and offered them as you know gifts to other people for healing and stuff like that so he labored physically but I'm sure all the while he's pulling those stitches he's probably telling somebody about the Lord or explaining something about scripture you know using those stitches and probably examples left and right of just just how how he should be doing and 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 he was being recognized by the lord for his sensitivity and for his um knowing that he 
is going to have financial shortcomings. Uh, some people thought that as he was collecting some of these gifts to take back to, to Jerusalem, that he was going to run off with the money. Some people were accusing him of that. They accused him of just coming out on the field just to gather those extra funds. And, and that's not right. You know, so you know, missionaries, uh, again, need support. But yet, you know, I was reading one uh, group that uh, they, what they, I think they titled their, their mission field, uh, we, wanna, we want missionaries that are Paul's to go out with a skill set to go out and help people. Uh, we were fortunate in uh, Connecticut uh, a man named Paul Whitfield came up from Bob Jones on a regular basis and when we knew him um, if you've ever seen the movie Sheffy he was the drunk in that movie a little short stubby dark haired guy of course. Uh, and he was the drunk in the movie and uh, anyway he was a, a builder he grew up on a farm uh, and he said it took him 50 years to figure out what his real mission was now, he pastored churches all around the country, and he would get in there, and, and the church would need some uh, work on it, a new roof or maybe addition. He goes, oh, you guys can do it. I'll show you how to do it. So he would. He'd train them. Well, as he went through these various churches, Bob Jones took him on in, in, in a class what was called missionary survival. He would train missionaries on how to do maintenance out in the field, maybe, you know, some come out, come there with no mechanical skills or no carpentry skills or anything like that. So they do things. They actually built uh, uh, various projects. He says, actually, the wives turned out to be better than most of the missionaries as they were doing the job. But he would, he, his whole mission that he started as a result of this was a helps ministry. In fact, he came up three or four times to Connecticut to our church, and he kept saying, you guys got to learn how to pour concrete because every time I come up here, I got to pour concrete. Well, they poured like 50 yards of concrete in there because of just how the land was, but he was a good concrete finisher. But he would come up with ideas on how to do something that you, you just, like, how do you do that? Like a building that had an 8-foot ceiling on one floor and a 14-foot ceiling below decided that, well, that 8-foot ceiling roomed, they decided they're going to lower the floor so they can have enough room to preach up there. So what do they do? They take this 40 by 40 area and we just cut everything out and reframed it. We're all looking at him like, are you sure you really want to do this? He said, well, it's either that or raise the roof. And he said, I think this way is a little bit more. But he, would, he could come up with things like that. He patented several ideas of, of, uh, for hospitals over in Africa. And he would ship equipment over and help establish hospitals. But he says, now they're not hospitals like you see around here they're basically a mud hut but he come up with a way of mixing concrete and and the local mud together to give them stable walls that wouldn't wash away when it rained but he was always doing this this whole thing so he had a skill set and some missionaries it, it's fortunate they go out with a skill set that actually benefits those that he's that they're ministering to so it, you know it's like the apostle paul he had the skill set they re, they had lots of tents back then so he brought that skill set to him. So, you know, and he, he didn't shriek from the work. And so it's, it's really, you know, not only was he out there uh, giving the gospel out, he was laboring even harder, as it says, uh, their travail as, as in, you know, laboring, you know, like childbirth. 
And, and so that's what we see there with their, their actual, the maintenance of it, ma they maintain themselves as, as their group. And when we think of uh, with that maintenance, then we come up with their conduct. And here we're going to look at, at the, the idea in verse 10. It says, ye are witnesses and God also how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And it's, it's interesting, and Brother Chris would probably have a ball with these words, <laughs> know where they are. I found where some of them were used elsewhere. I didn't actually find the, uh, the word holily uh, other than it was devotion. And so Paul, you know, he called on him to testify. Uh, God and the Thessalonians, they were called upon to, to actually testify how their ministry was and showed that, that these were sincere motives that these missionaries presented to them. They didn't do it with a, a, a greedy heart. You know, when they were, were presenting, like in verse, verse 5, it says, For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor cloak of covetousness, God is witness. They didn't use any fancy presentation. You know, I mean, today, you know, we, we have all sorts of things to, to present. You know, we, we use PowerPoint. Uh, some people have got a variety of ways of, of uh, you know, uh, illustrations and, and different ways of, of getting the idea across. The Apostle Paul, he just had his sincerity, his actual care for the people. And so the, they knew that they behaved themselves with, with devotion. You know, he, he and his co-workers carried out the, the, the task that God had given them, and they did them with sincerity and devotion. And if you look at, uh, you know, with de devout or pious is, is another term, you know, Acts 2.5, it says, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And they talked about, uh, you know, how devote, devoted they were to the word. And uh, Luke 2, 25, we, we hear of, of Simeon. He says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the, consol for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. In other words, when they went through, they were devoted. And the Apostle Paul devoted his, his, the ministry. Once he learned what God had intended for him to do, he knew that the zeal that which he was persecuting Christians previously, that was the same zeal that was presented to him to present the gospel, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And, you know, they, and they weren't fakes as they were doing things. And, you know, you can go through there and find where there are a whole variety of devout men that, that were identified. Acts twenty two twelve and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there. And then, you know, we can look at them and just see how devoted they were. And then justly is, is, is righteously. The, they, they were men of integrity. That's where they were looking at them. They weren't men, like it said in verse 5, they weren't trying to pull the wool over their eyes. They were there to present a, a ministry to them that they knew that they needed. But they weren't doing it, as we, we mentioned. Some were doing it uh, out of greed. Uh, you know, we see men today that uh, will take money just so that they can build themselves a, oh, a great empire here on this earth. Sadly, that's the only empire that they're going to see. 
we don't know what's in their heart or how God is going to treat them as a result of that. But when you ask the congregation, we need a second Gulf Stream so that I can get me and, and my group around a lot easier, that's very sad. That is really sad. And then you look at, 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 at a mansion that some of these men, somebody did a, uh, uh, a show on the mega church pastors and how there were, some of them live in some pretty big estates. And it's like, why? Not, not to pat our pastor on the back, but that mansion you live in, pastor, <laughs> on the hilltop. <laughs> no, you know, it, it just, it, it pains me or actually, I, I can't say me, but it makes you wonder, what's God think of that? How does God bless that? Maybe he's using it as an example. I don't know. But the Apostle Paul wasn't like that. Most pastors you run into today, they, they're, they're, their integrity is above reproach, along with the term uh, blamably. And it's the ability of someone else to find fault in them. You know, we think of, it, you, you get in for the, uh, those that want to, uh, uh, well, in, in, in 1 Timothy 3, 2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospital, hospitality, apt to teach. Or, you know, it goes through uh, uh, further down in that same chapter, let those also first be proved then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless and various places through there where we can stand before the Lord at that day of judgment and we know that there are going to be some blame laid but we're not going to be we're, not, we're, we're going to be blameless of the sins we're going to be asked what did you do with Jesus how did we promote that gospel what did we do after we got saved but we're going to be blameless the world tries its best to to diminish or to blame us for things that that haven't occurred lies about us and the 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 fact that people try to do that it just shows that there's jealousy and when the idea is, is that the missionaries are not perfect. As Christians, we're not perfect. We just know that we're living a life that we're following in Christ's footsteps. We're living a life such that we will uh, can be blameless. That nobody can say that we're um, guilty of, of things that we didn't really do. We're seeing that on a regular basis with, with people in politics, accusations thrown left and right on them. So, you know, so, uh, so a question comes with this is what should you do when you fail to live a devoted, righteous, and blameless life before the people with whom you're witnessing? What does that do? What do you do about it? <laughs> Makes it difficult if... You know, I think Brother Chris, you, you, you brought a lesson a little bit about that, about, you know, flying off the handle with somebody and then turn around and try to witness to somebody right afterward. Or you just witness to, to them and then that person witnesses you 
not living what you just talked about. That is so important in our lives. You know, what we did in the past. We're not being held accountable for that once we're saved, but yet we shouldn't let that dictate how, how our life goes. Our life should be blameless before the Lord. We should live justly. We should live a devoted life that glorifying God should be the first thing on our mind. And, and that should be our goal as we go through there. Yeah, we, we have to exist on this earth. And oftentimes we're going to be affected by what goes on around us. But we shouldn't let that dominate us. And if it does, we should be the first ones to say, hey, I, I, I failed there. I am so sorry about that. Please forgive me. Uh, the, the, other, the other question is, what can you do to win to Christ those who have been turned off to spiritual things by hypocritical believers. And I know we run into people that, oh yeah, I used to go to church, but it's so those people didn't live that life. So what do we do when we run into that? What's, what's our action or our reaction to, to somebody's question like that? Charlie? Just continue to show the love of Christ. Yep, show them the love of Christ. Show the, the, the devotion. You know, yeah, we're not perfect. And there's no way that on this earth that we're going to be perfect in everything that we do. And as we live, we should be getting more and more Christ-like. And some of those rough edges should be knocked off. You know, it, it's amazing. Uh, uh, I used to have to rebuild valves and stuff in the military. And I've seen some pretty interesting steam cut on, on discs and seats and what it took to, to replace them and the different grits of, of lapping compound I utilized to get some of those steam cuts out. Sometimes I had to re-weld them to get, get it fixed up, grind it down, then start lapping to get that thing back down to, to being smooth again. And uh, it's like, I don't know if any of you ever worked with <clears throat> Brother Nick when he was polishing concrete floors but it, it was amazing, you know, he'd start out with 40 grit sand, uh, of, of compound and just tear the concrete up. And in a short amount of time, he's up to 400 grit and you can almost see your face in it. He says, oh, I can keep going. He says, I got 20,000 grit if you'd like it. <laughs> I said, no, I don't think I need my garage floor that way. <laughs> and we stopped at 400 grit and you could, you could see your face in that thing. And it was amazing. But that's what God does to us. The longer we live on this earth, the more we stay immersed in, in Scripture, stay fellowshiped up like we should, we get those rough edges knocked off. There's some rough edges that are pretty tough to get at. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, the, when they talk about the potter, they'll go through there and he'll start working. And back in Christ's day, it wasn't nice, clean, strained, clay there's still some rocks and sticks and things and twigs and whatever else inside there and as he goes through there if one comes to the surface because as they're working it it's going to draw whatever in the middle out they're going to try to pluck it out of there and get rid of it that's what God does in our lives he works with us and if there's a point where it's just well I hate to say it but he will probably if we can't get rid of something He'll figure out how to, how to either eliminate that thing or 
take us home early. We might get put on the shelf if we have something that is so ingrained in us that it's affecting our ministry. That's the thing. As, as, as they go through there, uh, I, I had the pleasure of going to Israel, stopped at Haifa and, and watched some of the diamond uh, as they were polishing diamonds and what they were taking that initial rough diamond. Because if you look at it, it looks just like you know a rock that you pick up, you know. And it takes a good eye to recognize, oh, that's a diamond. And this is what can be done with that diamond. A good diamond um, uh, dealer, uh, polisher, and carver, he knows, as he looks at that, where that diamond can be separated to get the most value out of it. And to know what's the best cut that this diamond can be made into. That's what God does with each and every one of us. Some of us might just be a good old black iron pot that's used for cooking food <laughs> then some of us are going to be that nice polished utensil that's you know that bakes up well food as good as that uh, cast iron skillet but the presentation's a little bit different you know it's there's some people that just love only will cook out of cast iron skillet then there's others that will <laughs> has to have their special porcelain coated to make it doesn't taste any different at least I don't think but yet there's the, there's the purpose they're still being used but it's sad when you know the vessel can't be used anymore and fortunately none of us grow too old as long as we're on this earth to not be used I mentioned a man before up in, in Connecticut that I met he was paralyzed basically from, I think, the chest down. And he, he was in bed all the time. He sold books out of his house. You go up there and knock on the door, and you go up, pull back a little slide, and he'd sit there and he'd wave at you, talk to you. If you weren't saved, he, he, he'll find out if you're, not, if you're saved or not before you left. But he, that's what he did. He sold books, new and used books out of his place. He had, um, I think his wife, she ran to get the books and stuff, but that was his goal. I sold books, and I get the gospel out. All I could do was lay in bed. But yet, he could still speak. He could still think. He could still, you know, sell a book. He could still ask the questions and see if you, if you know Christ. And so his, his whole life was that. I don't know how long he lived that way, but people knew who he was. His name was Virgil. He, they knew Virgil's house. He had this nice porch, but you could go there. He was broken, but he was still being used. You know, I have a hard time throwing away things. My wife laughs at me about that. I can always find a use for something. But that's what God does. He doesn't throw us away. When we get saved, you know, he doesn't take us right to heaven. He has a purpose for each and every one of us. And on this earth, he wants us to be ministers of the gospel. He wants us to be devoted. He wants us to be righteous. And he wants us to be blameless. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, like we said. We're not perfect. And I think I saw a bumper sticker says, you know, Christians aren't perfect, they're forgiven. Another one I saw is, I'm not perfect. God isn't done with me yet. You know, we're, we're a work in progress, no matter what. We're continuously being modified as God needs us. Knocking those rough edges off. 
making sure that what we do is what he wants us to do for him, to glorify him. And that's the real goal. And again, Brother Chris, I appreciate the, the Wednesday night service. It kind of bolstered that right up of, of live a life that's glorifying to God. And that's what the Apostle Paul wanted to do his whole life was to share the gospel all around the world. And I can only imagine how many in Caesar's court heard the gospel from him. Because I'm sure there were many there. But yet here he wanted to make sure that the Thessalonians lived lives that were blameless. Because they're gonna, we're going to see where they were being persecuted even more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the truth that we see in your word. Father, we thank you for the examples that are before us, the Apostle Paul and many other saints that lived devoted, righteous, pious lives, and that were blameless before you, yet the world was trying their best to blame them for anything and everything. Father, I thank you when we can go through this earth and we know we're going to be blamed for things that we have no control over. We're going to be blamed for things that we might have done accused, lied about. Father, we just know that you are going to take care of us. You're going to put your arm around us and say it's okay. I have control of this because Satan will do its best to try to diminish this ministry and do everything that can be done to stop the gospel. But we know, Father, that you have the ultimate control Father, you allow many things that we don't understand to go on. And Father, we can thank you for all that we have. We can thank you for the blessings that we have. And we want to glorify you in all that we do. And we ask this all in Jesus' precious name.